Thank you all for being here today. Can we thank the Veritas Band for being here again? Thanks, guys. Hey, one of my favorite things is that these teenagers, these students get to model for all of our kids sitting up here ways that they can serve faithfully. I love that. And so, kids, you guys get to take off for your class. You ready to go? Ready, set, go. Don't forget your box. Would you join me as we pray? Merciful God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the challenge of discipleship. And we thank you that everybody in this room does have an opportunity to hear from you, whether we would say we're 100% with you or we're thinking about it or wherever we may be. We have the chance to hear from your word and receive it and to see where you are calling us to be as a church, as a community, and how this impacts each of our lives. Thanks for this wonderful vision of Shalom. Thank you for this incredible theme that is all throughout your scriptures that's pointing us toward Jesus even now. So may the words of my mouth and the things that we consider in our hearts do just that. Point us toward Jesus. We ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, happy Thanksgiving to all of you. I know it hasn't happened yet, but we're about to take off on that. Uh, my family has a fun tradition where we go to the beach every year for Thanksgiving. We go to the coast. And one of the things that's really fun about that trip now is now that we have kids, we kind of change up the activities that we do. So every year, we buy a movie. Like, normally, you know, we're kind of a Redbox or Netflix family, but we buy a movie because when we're uh, at the beach, our kids are going to watch this movie, like, maybe a dozen times. <laughs> like, they're just going to watch it again and again and again because it's fun and partially because they're young enough that they don't really know they've watched it a dozen times. They're just happy to be watching a movie. And so this year's movie is Finding Dory. Everybody seen Finding Dory? I missed in the theater, so we had to grab it this week. It's awesome. It is a worthy sequel to Finding Nemo. And that's saying a lot, because Finding Nemo is amazing. If you don't know the story of Finding Dory, it's about a fish looking for her parents. It's about the search for identity in one of the seven great plots. And I love this movie because it's beautiful, because it's deep, like all the Pixar movies typically are. But one thing that's really amazing about Finding Dory is that her search has a lot to do with our text today. It has a lot to do with the subject of Shalom. Now, shalom is peace in the Hebrew, but it's more than that. It's wholeness. It's being complete. In a sense, what Dory is looking for is the chance to be complete. She's looking for her family. She's looking for these missing pieces of her life. And so she goes on all these adventures, and there is a happy ending because it's awesome. But that search, that longing for something that is hard to name and that we probably can't come up with by ourselves... I think that has a lot to do with what our final topic in our sermon series is today. Shalom means peace, different kind of peace. One of the speakers at this year's Leadership Summit, the Global Leadership Summit, is a woman named Danielle Strickland. She works for uh, the Salvation Army, and she describes shalom in this way. It's the peace that comes with the presence of the fullness of God. It's the peace that comes when God's presence is with us, creating this kind of fullness that we can't make for ourselves that we just can't manifest for ourselves. Peace, shalom, is not just the absence of conflict. It's things being made right, being put back together again. We mistake this for familiarity and comfort a lot of the time. A lot of the time we get our wires crossed and we think, well, if I just get this straightened out, if we just get our family finances figured out, if we just get this, then we will have peace. But shalom is more than that. Shalom actually involves everything about us and about our world. And so it's an appropriate way for us to finish up this journey we've been going through called Constant. That's been our sermon series all throughout the fall. We've looked at these big themes from the Bible like justice, like covenant, like all these different things. 
And so wrapping it up today with shalom really feels appropriate. Like I mentioned last week when we talked about rest, I think one of the things God is doing in the church right now, not just in response to the moment we find ourselves in, but in, in the larger worldview of what's going on in the world, I think one of the things the church is supposed to figure out how to do is to really show the world shalom, to show it to people who are hurting, to show it to our country, to show it to divided nations, to show it everywhere. And we're going to see how to do that today through our text. So like we've done these past nine weeks, we're going to go through four different movements. They're in your bulletin if you want to follow along. Creation, disruption, hope, culmination. All four of these elements, funny enough, show up in the text that Allie read for us. And if you glanced at our Facebook page, you saw a little picture of some of my study notes about how that kind of just appeared in there, which I love that about God's word. So we're going to look at this. And to that end, I want to start with this question. How are you and I going to be a part of God's shalom? How are we going to be a part of naming and identifying this thing that our world desperately needs, but that we can't do for ourselves? We can't just make it happen. So let's set the stage for our passage today. This is the first movement, creation. What is it? If you're like me, you probably don't read Ezekiel every single week, so we'll do a little refresher about what Ezekiel was about. Ezekiel is one of the prophets of Israel. It's likely that this book was composed during a really conflict-laden time in Israel's history. Some of you may know this, that there was a time period when Israel actually was two different kingdoms. Israel had reached the promised land. They were conquered by a variety of, of pagan empires. They were split into two kingdoms, which is hugely traumatic. There was displacement. There was oppression. There was just a huge mess. And so a big chunk of Ezekiel's message to the Israelites is coming during this time period, which is, again, conflict-laden. But it's similar to what other prophets had to say. The other prophets would come up to Israel and say, you've missed the mark, you've forgotten your first love, and now you're lost. It's the message, again, of being lost. What's interesting about Ezekiel's book is that the text we read today comes right after a huge shift in Israel's narrative. All the way from chapter 1 through 32, Israel's saying kind of similar things to what other prophets have said. Israel, you need to get back in touch with God. You've lost touch with God. And then in 33, it's like he shifts gears on the bicycle. And he's talking about shalom. He's talking about the glory when things are made right again. In a way, he's talking about the Savior. So Ezekiel devotes the rest of his book to, bringing, to describing the restoration of Israel, and it's just gorgeous. So that's the context for what we're talking about today. Chaos, upheaval, political and military conflict, divided nation. Does that sound familiar? And in the midst of all of it, people are looking to God, again, to bring something they can't really name, but they know they can't figure out for themselves. Now, we don't see the word shalom necessarily in our text, but we see themes of it. So look with me at verse uh, 27 of chapter 34. This will be up on the screen. The trees of the field shall yield their fruit, and the earth shall yield its increase. They shall be secure on their soil, and they shall know that I am the Lord. This is God talking to the people of Israel. Let's start with the trees. They shall yield their fruit, the earth shall yield its increase. Like, what does that mean? It means this. Shalom happens when everything's working like it's supposed to. When everything in the created order is working like it's supposed to. When the things we experience as being good, like fruit coming into our lives, like harvest being able to be plentiful, when that happens, that's an expression of shalom because that's how things were supposed to be. We've gone back to the Garden of Eden almost every sermon during this series, and the reason for that is the garden shows us how stuff was supposed to work. People are supposed to work in relationship with God. We're not supposed to live apart from God. Creation was supposed to work perfectly. Nothing disrupted, nothing broken. Everything worked right. 
But all that changed, and we'll get into that in just a moment. But that's the beauty of the original vision, which I think Ezekiel's hinting at here when he talks about the created order working properly. Life is aligned with its full meaning and intent. So the second sentence, they shall be secure in their soil and they shall know that I am the Lord. Who's they? Like, who does that refer to? Well, it refers to Israel, but I want to direct us to verse 17 that happens just a little bit earlier in our Ezekiel passage. If you want to turn to Ezekiel 4 with me, this is a really incredible description of who the they is supposed to be. This is the Lord talking to Israel. As for you, my flock, thus says the Lord God, I shall judge between sheep and sheep, ram and goats, my flock. This is a loving term that God gives to his people. They're not just they, the pronoun. They're a specific group of people that he loves and that he cares about and he loves as a shepherd does. Now, this should make a couple connection points for us, right? Jesus talked about being the good shepherd. He was foretold as the shepherd. Jesus said, there is no greater love than this, that the shepherd would lay down his life for his sheep, that someone would lay down their life for their friends. In the way God intended things to work, there's only good shepherds. There's only people loving and caring for one another in the fullness of shalom. And this is more powerful than just getting along. This is more powerful than mere peace. This is stuff working like it's supposed to. If you want to write this down, this has everything to do with this last line about being secure on the soil. God's people are meant to experience shalom right now, right where we live. There's an aspect of shalom that's coming, and there's an aspect of it that's available to us right now, because it happens where we live, secure in the soil right now. And that means it's okay to come to church this morning and say, I do not feel secure. I do not feel like any of this is happening to me right now. The promise is it can happen, and it will happen. And the people who follow Jesus Christ actually can expect that shalom will exist now, in our day, whether you're a student, whether you're a software engineer, whether you're a full-time parent, it doesn't matter. You can experience God's shalom, and that's the promise of our scripture. So now let's turn our attention to disruption. Shalom happens when everything's working like it's supposed to. Disruption comes because things don't work like they're supposed to. And who do we have to thank for that? People! Yay! You and me! Story involves people. It's going to get broken. It's going to get messed up. Now, the way we're going to talk about disruption, you're going to have to bear with me a little bit, uh, engineers in the room. I think this is called reverse engineering. This is where you look at something and you kind of take it apart and figure out why it was made. So we're going to take apart positive terms and go backwards and figure out what was the negative thing that caused those things to be lifted up. So take a look at this scripture. It'll make more sense. This is uh, 34, 27, and 29. When I break the bars of their yoke and save them from the hands of those who have enslaved them. They shall no more be plunder for the nations, nor shall the animals of the land devour them. They shall live in safety, and no one shall make them afraid. They shall no more be consumed with hunger in the land, and no longer suffer the insults of the nations. Okay, what are the things that we heard in there that link back to something negative? Slavery, being plunder for the nations, being hungry, being insulted. What is that about? I think there's a theme that links all of those together. I think it has everything to do with leadership. With leadership. If the people of Israel have become those things, they become slaves, they become plunder, they're hungry, they've been insulted, a lot of what that would have to do with, in my mind, is that they were overmatched, they didn't have much of a game plan, they didn't have the resources, when a nation like Assyria came knocking on their door and kicked down the door. And easily conquered people lack many good things, including leadership. 
Israel was an easy conquest. So let's just pause, take a time out, and get practical for a minute. If part of the disruption that's happening here in the passage is related to leadership, is related to Israel not being prepared, not having the resources in play, however you want to put it, that speaks to our day as well. Now here's how I want us to maybe live into this calling towards shalom that I've been hinting at. In response to our disruptive moment as a culture, in response to our disruptive moment in our world, pursuing shalom as a church, I believe, means deeply committing ourselves to the work of prayer. Of prayer. Fervor and specificity in prayer. And this is where the text really convicted me this week. You guys know that we finish up our worship together and we often pray for our world. We pray for concerns that are going on in the world. We pray for um, conflicts that are going on. And the way the text convicted me this week was, what if we need to take a step further than just saying, we're going to pray for peace in Syria? What if we pray for leaders in Syria? Maybe leaders who aren't that great, like the Syrian president, Bashir Assad. Not a nice guy. But what if we pray for him? What if we ask God to change his heart, to transform his country so that it's a place of shalom, not a place of brokenness anymore? What if, when we pray for Iraq, we pray for Hadir al-Abadi, who's the prime minister of Iraq? Didn't know that until I looked it up this week. What if, when we pray for Afghanistan, we pray for their president, Ashraf Ghani? What if we name the names of leaders, some of whom aren't that great, but who have a responsibility of leadership in places where there is no shalom? What if we just prayed for them regularly? I'm going I'm to commit to that. And I would love for you to join me in praying for that. You, you name the leader, you name the country, you name the part of our country that's experiencing broken leadership. It, it's all before our God. But I think one of the ways the church can respond to this calling to shalom is to pray. Without shalom, without, without God's wholeness and unity, things fall apart, people fall into despair. The church of God is not called to fall into despair. I think this is one of the ways that we can speak to that and get into what God desires in the midst of that. So, to review, we experience shalom when everything works like God intended it. Shalom is broken when people, people be people. And now let's talk about hope. Hope breaks through actually right at the beginning and right at the end of our passage. So look at this. This is the first and the last verse, 25 and 30. God says this, I will make with them a covenant of peace. A covenant of peace. And then at the very end, they shall know that I, the Lord their God, am with them, and that they, the house of Israel, are my people, says the Lord God. So very briefly, covenant is the key. Covenant is where this starts. We had a whole series, or sermon on covenant earlier in this series, and what we talked about was that covenant is an agreement between God and people to create healthy use of time and will creating healthy use of time and will according to what God desires. So hope begins when people like you and me live into that covenant. When we say, I'm in, I'm part of that agreement, I want to do that together. And the way I read this passage is that the church is called to embody this covenant in our life together. So how do we do that? Well, if you follow the passage a little bit further, I think it, it tells us the answer. We live in the knowledge that God is with us and we belong to him. We trust the trustworthiness of Jesus Christ. We trust the knowledge that we are his people. And we are mindful as well that that doesn't give us permission to be triumphalist. It doesn't give us permission to be arrogant. It gives us probably the greatest incentive to be humble that the world has ever seen. That we have been named and claimed by Jesus Christ. Those of us who do follow Jesus Christ. And if you don't follow Jesus Christ, listen into this conversation. This is part of what the security of knowledge of God can give. Because knowledge of God is trustworthy. 
Knowledge of God shapes and forms us in ways that nothing else really can because it's bigger than us. If we're possessed of the knowledge that we belong to God, that he is with us, that he is not going to abandon us, that leads us to rest and that leads us to go out. My very first class of seminary was Theology 101. So I'm sitting in this classroom with like 40 other people and I'm listening to the lecturer and he's, you know, he's talking about uh, creation and the image of God. And then he stops at one point in the lecture and he goes, can I tell you guys what seminary's for? And so all of us are kind of sitting there like taking notes and then we kind of stop and look up like, what? And he said, seminary's not for you. It is not for you. If you think this is about you, you need to go. He touched his chest when he said this. He said, everything that we're teaching you, it's going to feel like it stops here. But it has to go out. It has to go out. Your knowledge of the Bible, theology, philosophy, all this other stuff, if it stops with you, we've failed. It's got to go out. It's got to go forth into your communities, into your churches, into your neighborhoods, into your schools. If it stays with you, we're done. I'd never thought about learning that way. I'd never thought about education. I'd never thought about theology that way, certainly. But I think that speaks to the subject of hope. Because this knowledge of God isn't just for us. It has to go forth in our communities. Dallas Willard is one of my favorite theologians, and he said, hope is the confident anticipation of good. Isn't that great? Hope is the confident anticipation of good. Bethany Eastside, what if we were known as a church filled with people who were confident in God's goodness? who are confident no matter what election result, no matter what thing is going on, no matter what persecution and trials we face, that we are people who are confident, not arrogant, confident in the goodness of God. What a blessing that would be to our world. What a blessing it would be to parents at your kid's school. What a blessing that would be to your workplace. This is not pie-in-the-sky optimism. This is down-on-the-ground, real life. This is who Jesus is. He gives us our hope. We confidently anticipate his goodness. I'll, I'll put my hope in that. Dallas Willard added that hope isn't just for those who bear it. He said this, Hope deepens as our experience verifies that the object of our faith is trustworthy. Hope deepens as our experience verifies that the object of our faith is trustworthy. And he's talking about Jesus Christ. So we experience deeper and deeper hope, deeper and deeper fullness, shalom, as we enter into the world and our experiences verify the goodness of God. Now you may be sitting there thinking to yourself like, dude, you have no idea what kind of week I had. My job is terrible. My kids went ape this week, like whatever. Think about this. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, and I think this is a promise the scriptures hold to be true, If you are going through suffering, if you're going through something right now where you feel like hope is just the furthest out thing from you, be encouraged that you are being shown a trajectory through your experience right now where Jesus is going to look that much more trustworthy when held up in relief against your experiences. Your experiences are not the judgment against your faith. Your experiences are the thing where real life shows that faith in Jesus Christ is trustworthy. And if you're in the middle of something really awful right now, be encouraged. It is not pointless. It is not without purpose because we serve a sovereign God and we can confidently anticipate the goodness of God. That's what hope is. So now we turn to culmination and this whole passage really is a culmination passage. It's about what shalom is going to look like when it breaks forth, when it covers over all of creation. And two, two verses pick this up in really, I think, beautiful ways. This is verse 26 and 31. 
And God says this, so that they may live in the wild and sleep in the woods securely, I will make them in the region around my hill a blessing. And I will send down the showers in their season. There shall be showers of blessing. You are my sheep, the sheep of my pasture, and I am your God, says the Lord God. Let's highlight that passage about the hill. I will make them in the region around my hill a blessing. This is a reminder to the people of Israel that their faith, their life wasn't just for them. They were to be a city on a hill, a light to all the nations, right? That's Isaiah 49. When shalom is restored to God's people, or in our day, when we see it breaking forth bit by bit, the blessing doesn't just stay within the walls of Peter Kirk Community Center. It doesn't just stay within the walls of Kirkland. It doesn't just stay on the east side. It goes to the whole region around where gospel-believing churches are proclaiming the hope that is Jesus Christ. So what does that look like? like how, put boots on the ground for that. What does that mean? I have a story, and then I have a couple of ideas. So I'll start with the story. Once a month, I get together with a group of pastors at Jubilee Reach. Jubilee Reach is a nonprofit in Bellevue. You guys have heard me talk about it before. It exists to bless the Bellevue community through the schools by getting churches and pastors and leaders together to find ways to be a blessing. And once a month, a group of pastors, we get together, we pray, we talk about what we're up to, and occasionally we have someone come and speak to us. And Sarah was there with me. Uh, and our speaker was the Bellevue chief of police, Steve Milet. And he made the paper the other day. He's, a new, he's new to the area, but he's not new to law enforcement. And he's a Christian, and he had this amazing word to share with us. And I think it has everything to do with how do churches help create shalom in a real way in our communities. Chief Milet said this. His officers in Bellevue, and let's be honest, this is happening everywhere, are hearing that people are afraid. If you didn't know this, Bellevue is now a minority-majority city. In other words, it doesn't look like us. Bellevue has more people of non-white descent than they do people of white descent. And so in that matrix, in that makeup of that city, people are afraid. Why? Because of the rhetoric they've heard about deportation, about acts of aggression, about all these kinds of things. People are hearing this, and they're afraid. That's what Chief Milet was saying. And now here's where he made a turn that I was not expecting. Chief Milet said this, when people are afraid of being deported of losing their families, losing their status in our country, they are far less likely to talk to law enforcement. They are far less likely to report a crime or to call the cops when they suspect something bad's going on next door. They are far less likely to engage with law enforcement, which is a tragedy. So Chief Milet asked our congregations to help people feel less afraid. That's what he asked. Contact reduces conflict. He said, talk to people. Help them feel welcome. Help them feel safe. Reach out and talk to somebody. You want to know how to respond to this moment if you're frustrated or if you're fine with this moment? Start talking to your neighbor. Start reaching out. Start helping us live into that contact reduces conflict paradigm. Help people feel like they can do something. And help them learn to trust those in authority, such as law enforcement. So I love that Chief Milet asked for that, and I think that's one of the things that a lot of us already do here. I know a lot of you, and a lot of you, like, you have your neighborhood memorized because you know and you love the people around you. A lot of you don't. We don't yet. What if we were a place that helped bring about shalom simply by making first contact with people that are afraid? That's an expression of shalom that I think we can pursue together. 
The other two ideas we have, there's more information about at the welcome desk, but we're going to start working with Pantry Packs, which is a ministry, a program of HopeLink, a nonprofit here on the east side. We're going to help give food to kids who are going to go home hungry each weekend. And so we're going to start working with that wonderful program. It's going to be an ongoing thing here at Bethany. So we're going to get that rolling starting next week, but you can find out more information about that. And we're also, during the Christmas season, during the Advent season, we're going to encourage everyone, including our small groups especially, to take on a YMCA holiday gift basket. The YMCA has had this program for years where you can buy the supplies, put it in a basket, and they will give it to a family that's in need so they can have a really good Christmas meal. We are going to seek to bless others and seek to serve and bless our city and point towards Shalom through those two efforts. And if you want to find out more, there's information at the welcome desk. Advent is upon us, and Advent is a season of generosity at Bethany Eastside. It is a season for us to be generous, and I hope you'll join in that as we, as we seek to be people who bring shalom. Okay, final thought about shalom. Who's responsible for this? Like, who gets the ball rolling on this? Movements don't just start. Movements happen when someone takes the lead, and someone shows the way, and someone says, we're going this direction. Well, if you've been around church a little while, you can guess who I'm talking about. But listen to this from Ezekiel 34. This is verse 15 and 16. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I will make them lie down, says the Lord God. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured. I will strengthen the weak. But the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them with justice. That is Jesus' job description. This is our opportunity to follow his leading and to serve as he does. Seek the lost, feed the sheep, bind up the injured, pursue justice for the weak. So when you're having one of those conversations and someone says, what are you up to for Christmas? You can say, with humility, well, you know, I'm going to be seeking the lost, I'm going to be feeding the sheep, I'm going to be binding up the injured, I'm going to pursue justice for the weak, because that's what Jesus does. What are you up to? The work Jesus appears to be calling his church to do, to highlight right now in this moment, is to help make shalom happen. And shalom doesn't just happen for us, it happens for our entire community. And so as we finish this series, remember that the heartbeat of all of Scripture points toward Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep. Christ's heart aligns with the Father's, and so his heart beats for justice, for hope, real hope in Jesus Christ, for binding up the broken, and for jumping headfirst into God's shalom. And so I'll ask one more time, what are you being called to do to help build shalom in our community? Please join me in prayer. Merciful God, we thank you for your word. And we pray now that as we continue to engage with your word through singing, through worship, we ask that you would speak to us in our hearts, that you would continue to use these students to minister through their gifts, and that you would show us how to be a part of your great work of shalom in this season and always. We ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. I invite you to stand as we continue in our worship.